before we get started, I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ loved us. So tonight I'm going to start this service with something that I like to do over in Elevate. We've got to have a little bit of group participation here for a minute. So I've got a question for you. Who do you love the most? I knew somebody was going to say that. Who's the person that you love the most? Husbands, do you love your wives? Wives, do you love your husbands? Parents, which one of your kids do you love the most? You don't have to answer that right now. Brother Danny, I know you love your wife the most, as you should. And let me ask you this next question. If I called you after service today and said, the person that you love most is being held captive by someone, what would you do to save them? What would you do to bring them back home? You see, when I answer this question, I look squarely here on this front row, and I look straight at my wife, my wife and my wonderful children. And i got to take just a moment. Molly, can you hold that precious little boy up for me? This is Graham. For those of you who don't know, don't know Graham, this is our newest. Let me tell you something about Graham. The little baby's cute. He looks like his daddy. He's got his physique. He's getting a little tummy going on. That's because he likes food, too. But let me tell you something about Graham. Graham is a product of prayer. And that's it. Because a couple years ago when Molly and I got married, we were not sure that we were going to be able to have children. Molly's type 1 diabetic and every doctor that we talked to told us, they cautioned us away from having children. They told us it was too high risk. They gave us this laundry list of things that was going to be wrong with our child if we were going to have a child. They told us our child would be born with spina bifida, with heart problems, with lung problems. His brain wouldn't form correctly. He would have cleft lip or cleft palate. And they went on and on about all these things that would be wrong with our child if we conceived one. But God, we started praying over this child. And when this child was conceived, we knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was conceived out of prayer. When Graham was born... Graham had some health issues, and he had to be taken back to the hospital and put in the NICU. While he was there, doctors once again gave us a laundry list of things that were going to be wrong with this baby. They gave us a whole bunch of procedures they were going to have to do on him. They told us it was going to cause liver damage. They told us it was going to cause kidney failure. They told us that he would never see right. He would never hear right because of the procedures they were going to have to do. But then God stepped in. Because the church began to pray. And let me tell you something. God listens and hears our prayers. And if I can say anything tonight to our parents, fathers, you need to lead your homes in prayer. One of the greatest statistics I deal with on a daily basis in my regular day job is that most young men who grow up in a home without a father end up in prison. I'm going to go a step further with that. Most young men and young women end up in a life of turmoil who grow up in a home without a praying father. So men, you need to lead your homes. This is our next generation. And they can't learn how to pray unless we show them how to pray. Leading your home in prayer is not telling your child, go pray. It's saying, come with me, son. Come with me, daughter. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Moms. How many moms I got in here? Y'all got little boys? Some of y'all got little girls. You want your little girls to grow up to be God-fearing, praying women. They can't be a copy of something they've never seen before. You've got to live in prayer. Mamas of little boys, 
You want your boys to grow up to marry a wonderful woman of God? You got to show him what one looks like. You got to live like one. I'm going to get off parents for a minute. You see, I look at this woman right here and I see this. Not only is she beautiful. Let me just stop there. She is beautiful. She is truly my better half. She makes me look good everywhere we go. And she makes me look taller because she's like four inches taller than me. That's something I've been trying to do my whole life is get taller. I didn't know I had to marry a taller woman to get there. But when I look at her and I see these children, I know they're mine. That's my son. My daughter's not here tonight, but that's my baby girl. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for them. Those are my people. If I was a king, they would be my kingdom. A king fights for his kingdom. And let me tell you something. I asked you at the beginning of this, who do you love most? This world today has a skewed version of what love is. You see, I love my wife, and I choose to love her every day. Because this world is going to tell you that you live under a contractual kind of love instead of a covenant. A contract, if my wife and I were under a contract, anytime she hurt my feelings, we disagreed on something, she made me mad, or I made her mad, we wouldn't have to love each other. But we're under a covenant that says no matter what she does, I'm going to love her the way Christ loved the church because that's how Christ loves us. Christ loves us under a covenant. You see, this covenant says that I have to love her unconditionally without change. And it's not just based on feelings because love isn't a feeling. Love is what you do in spite of what you feel. Love is fighting for the good in someone even if they never appreciate it or never see it. Love is what my God, what Jesus Christ did for me on Calvary. Love is what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary when he died for your sins. Love is what held him on that cross. This world's going to try to tell you that, young people, the world's going to tell you God doesn't love you, that nobody loves you, and that nobody wants you. This world's going to try to discredit everything you know about this one love, this real love. But it's this love that went through time. To correct a wrong that was done back in the Garden of Eden. It's this love that called you to grace and called you for his purpose. Young people, I need you to hear that God created you for a purpose. Over the past two years, our theme for Elevate, Elevate has been to be bold in 2017. In 2018, it was I am chosen. These themes weren't just so we could have a cool slogan to run around through the year. It was because I genuinely felt we needed to teach these young people who they really are. They are a bold and chosen generation for this time. This world's going to try to tell them that they need to be something else. That they need to fall into some other mold. But young people, you were called to be bold in this time. You were called to be a peculiar and weird people. And let me tell you something, if you fall into the mold of what this world has for you, it's going to leave you lost and broken. You've got to know who you are, young people, because identity will reveal what his real plan is for you. Now, this hits home with me because from the time I was an adolescent up until mid-adulthood, I struggled with my identity. I'm going to be real with you for a minute. I wore this shirt tonight because it's who I am. I love tacos. So there's tacos all over my shirt. And for the past few years, I've struggled with trying to figure out, you know, what mold I needed to fit into, how I needed to fit in to God's ministry. But then it, I came to the realization 
I can't be anything other than what he made me to be. I can't be anyone other than me. I can't be someone else. Young people, you need to get out of the, the thought process that this world is throwing at you because every time you get on social media, they throw a filter on that you can cover your face with so you can change your appearance to be something other than yourself. Young people, you weren't called to be something else. If you were called to be something else, God would have made you different. God made you who you are because he needed you to be who you are. Now, guys, a little more about me. It took me a little while to understand that I'm just going to have to get over that I'm a little crazy. I'm a little loud. I'm a little rambunctious. I'm like a little chihuahua sometimes. Sometimes it's a little much. But that's God, who God made me to be. Just like you were chosen and made in his own image. Don't mess up his image, young people. (laughs) You guys have got to stop listening to all the things this world is trying to throw at you. With all of these, these famous by night models on Instagram and on social media and on the news. Every time I turn on the TV and I hear about a Kardashian, it blows my mind. How we have made these people famous who are not genuine. And guys, if you, here's what I'm trying to drive at with knowing who you are. If you don't understand who you really are, that you're a child of the king, if you don't understand that, you will never value it. Because you will always undervalue that which you don't understand. So that leads me to this point. Who are we? Why are we here? We are people that are created in God's own image. We know that. We were created for this time. But we've been fooled by an enemy that has left us lost and broken. But God sees value past your brokenness. You see, the enemy was broken one time and lost his job. You get to be broken many times and still do your job. The enemy doesn't want to know why God chose you for this time. And God can do some amazing things with broken people. So tonight, the main meat of my message is coming from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I want to talk to you about a very lost and very broken person tonight. Someone that this world devalued, but God saw it different. I'm reading from the Amplified Version, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. And when she found out that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought him an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet. And she anointed him with the perfume. Now when Simon the Pharisee, who had invited him in, saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. That is, that she's a sinner. And then Jesus tells Simon a parable. Jesus answers him and said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Teacher, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will will love him more? And Simon answered him, The one, I take it, for whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, You have decided correctly. Then turning towards the woman... He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, 
for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this man who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes is how this casual encounter with Jesus turned into a miracle. Now here we see this Pharisee, Simon, who invited Jesus to dinner because the Pharisees have been hearing all about Jesus. They've been hearing all about all the miracles, signs, and wonders that are going on throughout the land. And they want to know, what's this guy about? The Pharisees were used to having all the power. So when they heard about Jesus and all he was doing, they had to know, what can this man do for us? Can they get Jesus to be on their side with this casual dinner and see what he can offer them? Young people, this world is fixated on casual encounters with Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. We cannot just have casual meetings with a holy God. A casual passing with an eternal God is not going to get you where you need to be in your life. So Jesus goes to this dinner. He walks in and sits down with Simon, and out of nowhere, here comes this lady. The, the Bible describes her as a sinner, which in turn meant she was a prostitute. She spent her time being used up by the world and all the people around her. She spent her time being hurt by those who she thought could help her. She was used and abused, and she was pushed aside and left out because she was unclean and unwanted. But you see, these are the very people that Jesus went after. Has anyone in here tonight ever felt that way? Ever felt lost? Unwanted? Broken? I know I have. I remember where I was when Jesus Christ found me. I remember how broken this man was. Can anybody testify to that? I was very lost and broken just like this young, peop this young lady. And young people, you're going to encounter people like this on a daily basis when you return to school. But you see, this one love, the love of our God, went across time to find you in your lost and your broken time. He pursued you at your lo most lost and broken point. Students, God is pursuing you. He's calling you. God is more than you than, more for you than this world ever could. And <laughs> when I think about where Jesus found me at, you see, I didn't say I found Jesus. Jesus wasn't the one that was lost. I was. But he pursued me. And he found me. Just like he went to a place where this woman could come. So this prostitute enters this room and immediately, without saying a word, she drops down and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. And the thing about that that just, just rivets me down to my core is the glory of a woman is in her hair. She began to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. So what she said was, I'm going to worship you with all that I am and everything that I think is good about me. God, I'm going to lay it at your feet and I'm going to wash it. God, I'm going to wash your feet with everything that I think I've got left in me. And then as she began to weep, she poured out her tears on him to cleanse him, to clean his feet. And then she took the most extravagant thing she had in her possession, and she poured it out on him. You guys, you understand that what she's doing here is one act of worship without saying a word. Without saying a word, she looked at Jesus Christ and she said, I'm going to put down everything that I hold dear about me. Every bit of worth I have attached to me, I'm going to lay it at your feet, Jesus. Because I know that you are the only one who can change me. Young people, while she was doing this, Simon, 
children. Simon said it to himself. But the word says Jesus heard it. If he only knew how dirty this girl was touching him, he wouldn't let her nowhere around him. Who is this man that lets somebody that unclean and that dirty touch him? Let me tell you something. You ain't ever too unclean or too dirty to get to the feet of Jesus. So Jesus turns to Simon and tells him this parable about the debtors. And when he finishes the parable, he turns to Simon and, and tells him, You've rightly judged. The person who was forgiven more loved more. But then he turns to this prostitute and says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love for me. You gave me no kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with oil, which was customary. But she has anointed my feet with this costly and rare perfume. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She loved much. He said this to Simon. He said it to Simon, but he granted the prostitute her freedom. Young people, I need you to understand this. This woman received her healing and her freedom because of one act of worship. One act of worship. She never said a word. Her worship, her worship took her places that she could have never went on her own. Her worship did things for her that her words never could. We've got to understand the value of our worship, young people. We have got to understand that this is a place of reverence. Let me, let me explain something to you, young people. When you worship and when we praise, we always say enter into his gates with thanksgiving because that's scripture. But the word also says that God inhabits the praise of his people. So let me explain something to you. When you begin to worship and you begin to praise him in this auditorium or in that one over there, God comes to where you are. He inhabits your praise. Sound is captured by other things. If you scream out into a cave and there's nothing in there to capture your sound, it's just going to bounce around until something grabs it. When you worship, God catches it. And young people, God is calling out for a generation to worship him and to honor him. He's also calling out for a generation that also has to be that recipient that catches what he's saying and moves when he says move. Church, we've got to get back to true, authentic worship. We've got to honor God with our worship and our praise. That's how he inhabits this place. That's how chains are broken. That's how healing comes. Coupled with true, authentic prayer. Young people, we've got to get back to prayer. And not casual prayer. True prayer. Now as I come to a close, I have one final thing that I need to say about this lost, broken, and used up woman. Young people, this part's just for you. How'd she know about Jesus? How did she know he could heal her? Two weeks ago in Elevate, we talked about what God's will really was for your life. And it's, the more I think about this, the more I think. Somebody had to tell that woman about Jesus. Somebody had to go and tell her, let me tell you something. You've been filling your body up with everything that this world has to offer, trying to fill a void. But there is a man here in town that can truly change you. That can truly fill that void in your life. There's a man here that can heal you. There's a man here that can save you. Somebody had to tell her. Everything that she went through in, in her life had nothing on this Jesus. 
It had nothing on this one love. Young people, as you go back into your schools, you're going to encounter these lost and broken people. Just like Jesus did that night. Somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to tell them about this God that we serve. Somebody's got to tell them about this one love. If not, they're not going to hear it. If not, they're going to be used up by this world and they're going to be lost and broken. But let me tell you something. It don't have to be that way. We need to be the ones who are pointing to the, pointing them to the cross. Saying, this is where you find your healing. Young people, depression is a spirit. There's only one thing that can break it. The effectual love of Jesus Christ. There's just been a spirit of suicide going around our schools for I can't tell you how long. There's only one thing that can run that out. That's Jesus Christ. Young people, we have got to be his vessels. We have got to move and be bold and tell others that they are chosen just like you are chosen. It's time. It's time that we stop being afraid because God is with us. You have the chance to point somebody to the feet of Jesus. Today, as I was preparing for this message, I discussed something with somebody and they brought up this point. They brought up apples. I like apples. You eat them. They asked me this question. How many seeds are in an apple? Somewhere between one and eight, if you're lucky. Well, I got another question for you. How many apples are in a seed? You can't count it. Because when you put that seed in the ground, it grows and flourishes into a plant that bears fruit and bears more fruit and bears more fruit. Young people, you are those seeds right now. You have the opportunity to grow and to bear fruit, which will bear more fruit. Parents, you got to nurture these plants. you got to nurture these seeds. you got to cover them with prayer. you got to get them to church. That's the only way we're going to have change here. I challenge you this year to be the one that points someone to Jesus. Show them this one love. If all of our students... All of our teachers, anybody involved in the schools, will please come up here to the front. We're about to pray over you guys. I'm going to ask our pastors to come forward and lead us in this prayer. We're going to pray over the safety of our children. We're going to pray that they are blessed and anointed this year. We're going to pray that they have the wisdom and the courage to be bold and to be courageous in the name of Jesus.